0: Today's date is November thirteenth, two thousand and twenty two. We are reading from the big book of AA pages x, x x I until the end of the chapter. And it's it's me, Ben Dory. I'll get started. Dori, I, I know' doing so well that. Dory will be our reader today followed by a 20-minute share by Tiffany. After Thank the you. reading, uh, I will introduce our speaker. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. To, to repeat, compulsive Overeater. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him, there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, has hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology and we doubted even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. William D. Selcourt, MD. Thank you very much. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this morning
1: Tiffany. Tiffany, lawyers. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Tiffany P. Recovered Compulsive Overeater based in San Antonio, Texas, but I'm originally from New Jersey. So Um, yeah, I started um, uh, before the meeting telling Kim it's always a little nerve-wracking getting that message, asking to speak. But last time I spoke at this meeting was on the sex inventory. So this is a little less intimidating. Um, So I wanted to start with I mean, the beginning of the passage, what is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this relating by relating one of my experiences. And um, I love that he, Dr. Silkworth, um, doesn't just say, take my word for it. He says, let me share an experience with you from what I've seen with my own eyes. And he gives two examples. And um, that's ultimately what we do here in in OA, right? We share our experience, strength, and hope. And so I don't, I'm not telling you a story that I've heard, I'm telling you what I have lived and what I've, I've seen um, from others who have recovered. Um, and so one pat, part of this passage that stuck out to me when I was thinking of preparing for this meeting um, is the patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die, he was rescued by a searching party. So I wanted to take this 20-minute share to tell you about the searching party that I believe my higher power sent um, to bring me to recovery. And um, lo and behold, they all had, instead of a regular searching party, I do a lot of hiking and um, um, watching true crime. And so when I think of searching party, I think of people like in the dark searching with flashlights in the woods looking for someone, right? Um, But my searching party, instead of flashlights in their hand, they had big books. Um, So in order to start uh, to tell you about my searching party, I need to start uh, tell you where I started. So I have been overweight my entire life, up and down, yo-yoing. Most of our stories are very similar. Um, You know, for me, I believe I was born with this disease. By the time I graduated high school, I was well over 100 pounds overweight, overweight. dieted off and on throughout college, my early 20s. And it was around my mid-20s when I first heard about Overeaters Anonymous. Um, And I started going to meetings and was in OA for about three and a half years, thought I was working the program. Um, I sat in the rooms and called myself a compulsive overeater. But um, now looking back, I know I I really didn't understand what a compulsive overeater was. Um, I believed it was... I was overweight, more than 100 pounds. I had struggled with it. And I thought that was the definition of a compulsive overeater. I knew nothing about the physical allergy, the mental obsession. Um, And then after three and a half years, I um, started to convince myself I wasn't a real compulsive overeater. I didn't need this program. I just, you know, maybe had some medical issues. Maybe if I just got on, on some sort of medication for my depression, things would clear up. And so at that time, I was living in Philadelphia, and um, I ended up moving back in with my mom and my family in New Jersey. Um, And this was after completing grad school. I had worked for a few years as a teacher and then some other um, career endeavors, and, and life just started to feel overwhelming, started to feel like I was drowning in the responsibility of being an adult, and it felt safer just to move back home. And like I said, I'm from New Jersey. And so um, I didn't have a car. And in where we lived, it was hard to get around without a car. And so when I moved home, um, that started my uh, period of isolation. Um, I didn't have a real job. Um, at that point, my grandmother, who I, who is house it was, um, she was showing, showing signs of dementia. And so my excuse was like, well, you know, my mom works during the day, so I'm here taking care of my grandmother. But the reality was I was hiding from life. Um, so much like the person Dr. Silkworth is talking about, right? I, I didn't think this consciously, but I had decided my situation was hopeless, um, and so, you know, I was just gonna, I don't know, stay at home um, and take care of my grandmother. That's what I said I was doing. Um, Of course, my weight ballooned to the highest weight I ever had gotten to in my adult life, Um, grew out of all of my clothes. I had lost some weight when I was o- in 08 Previously I'd lost, I don't know, I had about a six month period of abstinence, gained all that weight back plus more, Um. And every day I woke up sick and depressed. Um, I woke up, you know, thinking like, why couldn't I just be, you know, taken out in my sleep? And so I'm going to just trigger warning here for a kind of suicidal thoughts. But um, yeah, I remember waking up each morning and thinking like, why couldn't God just take me out, out in my sleep? Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and the only thing, or at that time, I thought the only good thing in my life was the food. Um, that was the only joy that I felt I experienced was like looking forward to like what I was going to order for lunch or dinner that day. Um, And I was miserable. And I remember one morning, I don't know, maybe three or four years into it waking up and saying like, God, if you exist, and I had to phrase it like that, because at that point, I was calling myself a borderline atheist, because I felt like God had abandoned me. Um, you know, I was left on my own. I had believed in God. I was in OA and trying to gain this relationship with God. And he left and I was on my own to this misery. Um, and so I thought to myself, like, God, if you exist, you need to do something because I am not going to make it. I'm not going to stick around here um, much longer. And looking back, I feel like that was the moment where my higher power, I'd like to envision him taking a deep breath, and saying, like, finally, like she's letting me in. Like, I think that was the moment of my willingness. Um, and slowly things started to change. I ended up getting a job and um earning a little more money and thinking, like, I can you know move out and you know, be an independent, responsible adult. And then my next thought was like, but you don't have like the life skills to adult properly, like you you just don't, and you're you'll end up right back here. And then my thought after that was you need to go back to Overeaters Anonymous and this time you need to to work the steps. Um, and there was just that quiet resolution like, uh, OK. Um, and I hadn't thought about OA in three, four or five years at that point. Um, and now I know that was absolutely a God thought. That wasn't me. Um, and so soon after that, I at that point, I, I still didn't have a car. And so I remembered OA had phone meetings. so. Um, this is the story of the first person in my searching party. I, um, I got on, I think it was a noon lunchtime phone meeting. I've only been to that meeting one time ever. And I don't even remember what was said in that meeting, but someone asked like, are there available sponsors. And so I took the name of someone who was an available sponsor. I called her right after the meeting. And she said to me, I use the big book to sponsor And I had some familiarity with the big book um, from my previous time in OA, but I um, had never worked the steps, had never really even looked at the first 164 pages. Um, So she went through how she works, you know, the the steps with her sponsees. And I was, the whole time I was like, okay, I'm gonna call her, I'm gonna call her. Hung up the phone, I never called her back. But that was my first encounter with um, someone who um, used the big book. So a few weeks later, I ended up buying a car. And um one of the first places I went was um an OA meeting in Red Bank, New Jersey on Saturday mornings at 10:30. And lo and behold, I walked into the meeting and it's a big book meeting. And um I remember thinking, like, they're not doing it right. Like, this is not the right literature. We are overeaters, we're not alcoholics, like, what's wrong with them? Um but I stuck around because it was the only meeting at that time that I knew I could get to with any regularity. And so I kept going. And I remember that very first meeting, I tried to sneak out, um, you know, without anyone seeing me or talking to me. And um, a woman got in between me and the door um, and I remember her name and I remember that moment and thinking like, oh, what is she like, I just want to like leave, I'll come back, whatever, just let me go. And um, she got in between me and the door and welcomed me and said, you know, um, she went tried to hand me a, a newcomer pack and I was like, oh no, I have been in OA, I know what it's about. And she handed me a welcome backpack. So I was like, really? Um, but like, As annoyed as I was, um, that moment like, it stays with me, because it really felt like the first time I had been seen in years, you know, someone took the time to say, you know, not by words, but by action, we're not going to let you walk away without um, us acknowledging you. Um, And so another person in my searching party, right? um, She was in that big book meeting, she had recovery, and she saw a new face, and she spoke up. And, um, you know, this is six, seven years later, and I, I still remember that moment and still touches me. Um, and so I started going to this meeting, it was big book. And there were people there, as I started, you know, listening, there were people there who had 10, 15, 20 plus years of recovery, they had 50 to 100 pounds of weight loss, but which was, you know, I considered miraculous. But what was even more miraculous is they were sharing stories about having joy in their life. Um, you know, they were talking about life in a way that just sounded so appealing. You know, they had um lives and careers and spouses and kids, and they weren't, you know, just trudging through life and dreading the day to day. There was, there was a joy and a gratitude in their shares even when you know they were commenting on a situation that wasn't going how they wanted to um and i didn't know a lot of people like that in my outside life who had joy in their life you know who were grateful to wake up in the morning who um you know uh even through trials or you know tough circumstances or god forbid not eating sugar you know did it with a smile on their face um and so I started to not just endure going to meetings, I started to look forward to it and being grateful for the meetings. Um, and then within a few months, I finally decided it was time I need to ask someone to be my sponsor. First person I asked didn't work out. I knew they weren't right to, to sponsor me because, like I said, I had this thought that I need to work the steps. Um... And so the next person, which I know my higher power led me to, I just had this feeling like I should have asked this person in the first place. Um, I went up to, she had raised her hand when, you know, um, available sponsors were asked. And I went up to her after the meeting and asked if she would sponsor me. First thing out of her mouth was I use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to sponsor. And... um, that, that resolution, that quiet resolution came over again. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to say she's using the wrong literature. I'm not going to suggest, well, maybe we can use this other literature I'm familiar with because that's how I worked the steps before. Um, it was, and now now looking back, I know it was that, that gift of desperation, right, that led me to not asking questions, but just doing So when she said that, um, that same meeting, I purchased a big book, and it's still the big book that I have today, and it's all now marked up, but that's how I started working the steps. Um, And I remember in my first round of OA, um, I knew who Bill W. was, and I remember trying to read his story, and just not relating you know saying like he's a different race than i am a different gender lived in a different time period there's nothing that i can relate to to this man and then i opened it once again the second time with, while working with my new sponsor and within that first paragraph he says you know uh he became lonely and drink you know he turned to drink when he became lonely paraphrasing um and i thought how many times have I been lonely and turned to food, right? I picked up the phone and ordered delivery because I had nothing to do on a Saturday night. Like that was my whole life, right? Um, And so I started reading Bill's story and I saw myself and I thought like, how did this man who lived 70, 60, 70 years before I was even born know my story, right? Um, And so, you know, um, I started working the steps with my sponsor and um, started seeing myself and, and you know life started to change, right? And so that's the story of my searching party. They all had big books in their hands and it was, I know they were each brought to me by a power greater than myself. Um, and so when he talks about from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. You know, I give one example is like when I said before, um, you know, when when I was in the the depths of my disease and pain, I would wake up every morning and say, like, why didn't you just take me out? Right. And now for the last four plus years, um, you know, first prayer, prayer and meditation is the first thing I do in the morning. And my first prayer is often like, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. And, and I say it. And I mean it, you know, like I'm grateful to have woken up this morning. I'm grateful to have another day ahead of me. Um, and that's not something I could do on my own. You know, I, on my own, I am a sick and suffering compulsive overeater who likes to hide from people who isolates, who, you know, does not even know how much food I can take into my body, you know, to for, to live a healthy life. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's just, you know, and that's just some of the surface stuff, right? Like, let alone like handle relationships or career or life. Um, And so maybe to to outsiders, it looks like I'm brimming over with self-reliance, right? I've, since being recovered, I have moved from New Jersey across the country to Texas. um, And I actually have people here in Texas who I care about and who care about me and I have relationships with people. Um, both inside and outside of, of recovery. Um, I've gotten to do so many things that I've wanted to do um, for a lifetime here while living here. And it's all a result of working the 12 steps and um, living this way of life. And obviously, most importantly, relying on a power greater than myself, right? Um, and so I always have to refer to God. Someone I was listening, I can't remember who it was. Um, if it was at a meeting or on a podcast or something, but someone was talking about being nervous and sharing, and someone shared with them, "Just make God the hero of your story, right?" And that's what came to me as I was preparing for this this talk: is make God, um, however you decide God, whatever God looks like to you, whether it be, you know, universe, a, a she, a he, or you know, whatever um make God the hero of your story. So if anything I've said resonated with you, just know it is God and not me. Right. Um, yes, I've taken the actions and and you know whatever, but um the result is is a power greater than myself. Um, and so, you know, search you by a rescue party. You know, today I don't hide. Um, I just want to give a couple of examples. Um, yesterday, I reached out to someone for um, career advice, not career advice. I had a question about some task that I'm thinking of taking on in my work. And, and um, I work for myself, I work from home. And I reached out and asked, you know, what their experience was like doing this particular thing. And it that sounds simple, but I'm not the type who reaches out and asks for help. Um, you know, I, I want to do things on my own. I,, um, you know, will try to self-will my way through things, right? Um, but this program has taught me how to relate to other people, how to step outside of myself and humble myself enough to ask for help. And that first instance of asking for help was asking someone to be my sponsor, right? Like seeing you have the more experience you have a recovery, you have something that I want can you help me get there right can you show me what you did to get there and so i asked someone to be my sponsor and i continue you know throughout the process making outreach calls and i've changed sponsors a couple times since then um and just you know today even asking someone if they're available to hear a 10 step from me um, is still how i learn and practice reaching out, asking for help. And that always brings me closer to God. And so, because I learned how to do that here, I can do that in my outside life, right? I can do that outside life may not be the right term, but I can do that in my in my life that is not program. Um, and so, And of course, people are receptive and, you know, helpful. And I always think like, I don't want to bother people. Or when I hear sponsees say, um, or newcomers say they don't want to, you know, do outreach because they don't want to bother people or whatnot, like if someone is not available, they just won't answer the phone, right? It's just that simple. Um, And so uh, with the last couple of minutes I have, I want to share that right now. So I, like I've said multiple times, I live in San Antonio, but um, I'm in the process of packing up because um, I am moving again to um, I'm packing up here and moving to not one location. Uh, my job is location independent. And so I will be doing what's called digital nomading. We'll all be staying in one place for one month and, you know, moving around and um I have taken a lot of time to pray about that. I've talked to my sponsor, I've talked to my fellows. Um, obviously I've spoken to God and asked God like, is this the right thing for me to do? Um, because that's my process now, right? When I, there are little things, like I've prayed over God over what time I should go to a dental appointment, literally, um, and big things, right? Like, should I move halfway around the world? Like all of it I take to God, Um And so far the process has been going along. And so that's a sign to me that like, God is okay with this, right? This is God's will. Um, And so I don't hide out in barns anymore, right? I don't hide out at home with, you know, not uh, isolating and, um, you know, sitting in front of the television, you know, eating, you know, more food than I need today I have a process by which when you know life is lifing I go to my higher power and when life is good I go to my higher power still um and so yeah I'll just close by saying that God if anything I said resonated with you today it's because of a power greater than myself and I got there by working these 12 steps um directly out of the big book so um thank you Kim for asking me to be service and with that I'll pass.